Good afternoon. It's uh, a soggy Tuesday afternoon, the second Tuesday of the month, 4 o'clock. That brings around Boat Talk here on Community Radio, WERU-FM, Blue Hill. We are in the midst of our uh, spring or midsummer fundraiser. If you appreciate Boat Talk or hopefully you appreciate WERU for all its community-oriented programming, please give us a call and help support this station. You can give us a call at... 469-6600, and we'll gladly take you through that exchange. But it's um, the usual boat talk story for the first part of the uh, hour with John Johansson, who goes up and down the coast every month talking to boat yards, boat builders, um, and filing a boat yard report. Plus, John's been racing. <laughs> Lobster boat racing. Yeah, go ahead, John. Oh, yeah, we finally even got Jonesport in after three attempts, which started on the 1st of July. We tried to get on the 2nd and finally got it done Saturday. Yeah, didn't have the foggiest chance the first time, did you? <laughs> no, it was really, really bad when you looked across the, after they said start, and you looked across the finish line, you couldn't see the other side. <laughs> So we hoped that it would actually break away and, and lift, but it didn't do that. So I guess what we'll do is start right in with uh, uh, Boatyard News. And some of this is is a little older than I'd like, but I haven't been here for a couple of times because uh, I've been on the road, mostly in Massachusetts and New Hampshire. But Gamage's Shipyard down in South Bristol has had some interesting boats in there. One of the boats they built over the last winter was a Mitchell Co. 35, which was fit, fitted out as a sport fishing boat for somebody from New York. And she's powered with a Yanmar 370 horsepower diesel. Uh, they've also uh, did some rebuilds on a Spoonbow sailboat. Unfortunately, um, Mike Tatro, who owns the yard at the time, he couldn't tell me what it was. And then there's a Holland 32 that they built a couple of years ago, and she was back in the paint bay to have some work done. Uh, Highland and Brown in Brooklyn has uh, got just a lot of work, as most of these yards do. You know, you look at, you know, it's always a wonder uh, what's going on in this business. And a lot of yards, especially if they key mainly to the commercial boat is a little worried of what the future brings of course most people know that you know noah had released some of their thoughts on what they should do to save the right whale and you know so uh, a lot of the fishermen are holding back some fishermen got right out of the business and decided not to go fishing again i hopefully they kept their license so some of the boat builders are kind of worried and you know, and last year the fishing wasn't so good, and they weren't getting the price, so, you know, they had a hard year. So not a lot of commercial boats have been ordered. But so far this year I've heard that actually the fishing is not too bad, and that if it continues, they figure that the commercial orders will come back. So at Highland and Brown down in Brooklyn, they has always have some very interesting boats, mostly of them of vintage, we'll call it. And they did one, which is Vega. She's a pleasure launch that was built on Great Cranberry Island in the 1930s. Do you remember her? No? Anyway, she hung around down there. She's galvanized clinch nail fastened, and she, she isn't showing any rust. 
which is interesting for a boat usually of that age not showing anything. Yeah, because they were all iron fastened. Back yeah. Then. Yeah. So, uh, but she was basically in only for one thing, and that was to get an electric motor and a solar array. And uh, then she was delivered to her owners over in Sorrento uh, late this spring, early summer. And then they were working on building a uh, uh, Matthew Smith design powerboat, which is basically a a center console walk-around configuration uh, with a pilot house. So you have some sort of internal uh, amenities like a head and maybe a berth or something. But she's powered with twin hospitals twin outboards yamaha 250 so she should go right along she's probably not going to be finished until the end of summer when we'll see her out and then they had uh or they're bringing in uh this fall a 1930 50 foot elko flat top now i remember this boat being down at paul rollins's shop down in um where is it york and he worked on it off and on the owners only could afford so much at a time, and this was a big, big boat, 50 foot, needing probably close to a total rebuild. And she's been at um, um, Highland and Brown for probably about five years. And she was put away, and but they had her pretty well done so that structurally she's sound and she, when they moved her, she didn't move. Because a lot of times when you don't have the full structure inside, it's not a good thing. But they hope that when they pull her back in, that they can start beginning work on her superstructure, putting that back on. And hopefully they think that they can go the rest of the way and have her done. The other thing is is that, there, is that they've made a connection with Brooklyn Boatyard, who has two Wheeler 55s to do. And Highland and Brown are going to do one of the hulls of the Wheeler model. So as they've been building these, uh, the 55 at Brooklyn, They've been duplicating the parts and the pieces that they've had to do that wasn't done at Usen Company, which is in East Blue Hill, because they have a CNC machine that's been cutting all the parts and the pieces. So they ship that all down there so that it's going to be a lot easier to build. But let's let's um, give a little bit of Wheeler history first. Well, <laughs> that goes way, way back. Yeah. So they were, I would consider them an upgrade over a Chris Craft, because I had a Wheeler donated to a nonprofit. And I sold it in Portland. They're dentally larger than Craft too, weren't they? On the, you know, I most think of them the as one, being 40-something at least. Yeah, well, that, you're looking at, what was the name of? Um, <clears throat> Principia? No. Principia was, uh, what was Principia? Uh, <laughs> you got me out of there. I don't know. But she anyway. she wasn't con- uh, consolidated. Yeah. But 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 a Wheeler was they were built in uh, in New York, and they started I think in the city and then worked their way up the river, and they got in trouble in World War II financially, and finally they went out of business in the '60s. But after a major fire, mm-hmm. and but young West Wheeler, who I think the ones that owned the company when it went under, was his uncles. And so he's revived the line, and he built a 38 there a couple of years ago, and that went in the water. Beautiful boat. It ends up at the Newport Boat Show. So I guess that one's seriously for sale now because I think he's ordered one of the 55s. And then somebody else saw it and thought it would be nice to have one too. So. It's a pretty boat. Yes. It is, and, and they're well, well done. 
Uh, so they've got that to do, and that should take them a long time. And then we go down to John's Bay Boat Company, also known as mostly by the owner, Peter Cass, and he's got a 44 under construction right now. But unfortunately, in the spring and in the early part of summer, a lot of the work is basically done on the railway, getting boats that he's built in the past, because a lot of them love to come back to Peter and have their work done, their annual maintenance. Some of it extensive, some of it not. And one that's always there is the Pamela B. And she was there this spring, and she's from Beverly, Massachusetts. Some of you might know who Jim Bartlett is. That's his boat. And she was built, she's hard chine, and I believe she, she was built um, in Essex. And he brings her up every year to have work done. This year, they actually blasted the bottom, uh, took all the paint off of it. That was done by Aquaterra Vapor Blasting Company, who's well-known in the area, especially by wood people, because they've kind of learned how to blast the bottom and not tear it all to pieces. Are they blasting with grit or um, what are they, baking soda? Some use... Um, he uses a fine grit, mm-hmm. but there's some that will use walnut shells, yep. something like that. Because I've seen at Brooklyn Boat, yeah, they've yeah. used walnut shells before. But, you know, he's got really, really good at this. But once they took off the ice sheathing and stuff, because Jim likes to fish even in the middle of winter. <laughs> it's called <laughs> ice fishing. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, he goes offshore lobstering. So when they got inside on the hard chine, they had to replace a few things and a few planks and mm-hmm. nothing major. Uh, and then she's back in the water, and she's already down refishing. And then uh, there was a boat that was built 44 years ago by uh, Bruce Farron called RPJJ, and uh, 40 yeah 44 years ago. And that boat was hauled into Peter's shop, and he basically was asked just to do a couple of things to get him over the hump. Well, that couple of things have now turned into like reframing from the transom to the bulkhead, <laughs> replacing this, replacing that. And there's a, there's been a lot of work. And right now they're trying to do the stern, and they've put in 15 planks, and they're, they're now uh, getting ready to, t- and probably already have, put in the platform and uh, patch up the rails. And then on the railway was Sally Rochelle. That is Mike Flanagan's boat from Portsmouth, New Hampshire. That's a Peter Cass boat that he built, I can't remember. I think that was in the early 2000s, and uh, she was up just for general maintenance. So uh, let's see what else we got here. Lyman Morse Fabrication. That was an interesting thing. I had always heard about Lyman Morse Fabrication. Everybody knows who Lyman Morse is. But back in the 90s, uh, Cabot found out that this uh, fabrication company was available, and he had a fabrication company inside Lyman Morse. Well, they were kind of cramped for space, so he thought that, oh, let's go buy this company, we'll meld them together, and they can do my work for me, and I've got a little more space idea. So, But now they've expanded, and I met uh, Jonathan Egan. He's actually an interesting guy because he is an actual ex-British commando, and he's went to school after he left the military in Great Britain and went through all kinds of uh, schooling to understand metallurgy and you know the finer points of doing fabrication so they're doing all kinds of things they did a couple of boats for the state they do a lot of stuff for aquaculture and so if you go to the i believe it's the ford place it's across from um uh uh, mcdonald's if you go out there and take almost the uh, another instant left he's up in the back in that uh um uh industrial park say right on the uh, route one in rockland 
as you headed south towards Thomaston. And so they they have just completed an LMF uh, 33-foot landing craft designed by Response Marine, and I believe they're out of Newburyport, Massachusetts. And, uh, and they did another boat for the state that actually goes out and does a lot of mooring work on the lakes, which was kind of interesting, small boat. But anyways, and then there's Shop to Shore. Now, Shop to Shore is Rene, and he used to work for Peter Cass. He's also in South Bristol. He's the one on the right as you're headed into town. And he's, he always, he's another one that does a lot of interesting old boats. Uh, one of the boats he had in there was a Hodgton 24 that was probably done back in the 70s uh, by Sonny Hodgton. And he's replaced a few frames and planks. He's recocked everything, replaced everything inside, new engine, painted the hull. And that one was getting ready to go outside. Uh, 1950 Chris Craft that was, you know, he was rebuilding for himself, which is the cardinal sin. You don't do that because you're not making much money off that guy. And so that one had the transom, the hull painted, uh, new tanks installed, stripped all the varnish and redid. Uh, beautiful job. If you if you go past the shop, she's the, in the next temporary shed. You'll see her sitting in there because the front's all open for you. So uh, then he had a glamour girl. And he installed a new uh, three-cylinder Yanmar in it. But then they discovered that they took it out and did sea trials. And she topped out at like eight knots. So they're now <laughs> trying to fit a, a better a better size propeller under her to get her up over the eight knots. Mm. And then there was an Able 32 that's done for a local owner. And basically they took the whole top off of her and, re, and put a new top on her and that sort of thing. I, did you ever know the Able 32s? Yeah, I believe so. They were because um, that uh, was Crozier Fox. Yep, there was. Oh, okay. I was thinking that was the place that used to be at the airport, but that was before well, that. Yeah. Yep. Well, Crozier was out there for a little while, wasn't he? Okay. Yep. Oh. <laughs> so yeah, so Crozier was out there a little while before he turned it over to the Coopers. Okay. Yep. They were they were pretty close. I think it was Chuck Payne who designed those. Right. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. So there's that. And the Artisan Boat Works is another one that you love to go in because it's another museum, basically all full, uh, the storage sheds with boats. And they had a couple of interesting ones. One is, ready for this, a Bugatti. Oh, now, yes. I remember you telling me about this. Yeah. With the engine in the front. Yeah, and it basically the engine's going to get installed in Newport. The boat's already been shipped to Newport. It took them about a year and a half to redo the, the this boat because it was just basically all fine, fine work. Yeah. And uh, so it was ready to be boxed up. And it's basically there's only three of these, as I understand. This one is going on Atlantide, which many of you from Blue Hill would remember as being there for a while. And I think she's under new ownership, and she's now headed, because Atlantide's across the pond over in, I think, the Netherlands being totally rebuilt, but I don't think the big boat's done. And so she's in Newport waiting for the big boat to come there. And then they've got this 21-foot ocean cruiser that was designed by Tom McNaughton of Eastport, and they started her last October, and she's now going through, and they're doing the interior. The hull was strip planked and put together, and she's been moved into the center of the shop, and she's supposed to go in the water basically this fall. Then they'll start the construction of the biggest boat they've ever built, which is a 39-foot luxury day sailor that was designed by um, Rob Stevens in Belfast, 
And she's going to have a full interior, galley, head, you name it, she'll have it. But she's basically a day boat. And they hope to have her finished off probably next year. And then they restored an Alarian. They did a Dark Harbor 20 that was totally rebuilt. And she went back to Islesboro. And here's an interesting one I like, the item scow. And that's from the Adirondacks. And a scow boat is just like a giant surfboard with a sail on it. Uh, yeah, right. And some of them get scary because what is the M scow is the biggest one I've ever seen, I think. It yeah. was at the Museum they of Yonah. They go into the skimming dish category. Yeah, right. <laughs> so basically last year they redid her hull. This year they came back and did her uh, some of her deck and combings and that sort of stuff. And she's, they rebuilt a mast for her and she was getting ready to be shipped out to the Adirondacks. And then they redid a Concordia 31, basically all the way from the waterline down, you know, floors and frames and that sort of stuff. And she's done and gone. And then there's a 40 foot Sparkman and Stevens. And what's interesting about her, she was built by Trumpy. Well, Trumpy, and I think that's who built Principia, was Trumpy. Oh yeah. And, um, the Trumpy, this is, we think, is the only sailboat they ever built. And she's a nice sailboat, and she's got a new owner. And this was a question I had for Alec Brainerd, who owns Artisan, is it's sad to see some of these old boats rot away. And, you know, but there's now more people, it seems, to, to want some of the old classics. And he says, well, there's enough, there's some buyers and they have got the pick of the litter because there's enough old wooden boats floating around out there that, you know, need need love and a lot of it mm. and a lot of the green stuff with dead presidents on it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so that that's always an interesting stop. Barracuda custom boats. I bet Barracuda, most people would not understand that. But Moses, who is actually is Moses Ortiz, who owns Barracuda. Barracuda stands for... An Ameri- uh, a Puerto Rican in America, and that's the name of the boat shop. And for those who go down east, this is across from H&H Marine, which is in Steuben. As you, you know, pass through Steuben, it's almost on the borderline of Millbridge, and it's on the right side, and he's in with uh, Kennedy Marine Engineering, which is an engine company. And he had a Westmac 50 in there that they were just finishing up work under the deck, and then it was leaving because... The owner had stopped work on the boat, and it I believe it has gone back to West Mac, and West Mac has it for sale. And then he had a, uh, a Repco, which was a Repco 22. That was designed by Harv Church, who was an old shipbuilder in town. And this thing's 46 years old because it's one of the early, early fiberglass boats in the in this state and uh, basically they took all the wood out of her she's going to be totally composite now and that was going to be basically a little job it wouldn't take them too long in one bay they had a northern bay 41 which is basically a 38 northern bay stretched and she's being finished out by a cruiser and the owner actually uh helped moses out a little bit by actually uh pre-buying uh cabinetry so all he had to do was slide it in place instead of actually custom building every stick in the boat. And then the other boat was a Wayne Beale 36, and she was sitting outside, and they had brought her in to do some engine work and found out that there was a problem with some other structure. And so he's been in there and actually putting in composites in replacement. But it was a short job, and it shouldn't have taken very long, and that boat was supposed to be out probably mid this month. 
So it was a lot of work under the platform. And then there's a Muscle Ridge 46 that he's been working on for a number of years because it came from another yard. Had to be A lot of it had to be redone. But anyway, she's now been shipped to southern Maine, and she's being finished out because all that was left to do was basically the um, uh, wiring and systems. And then he's getting ready to do a Flowers 43 for a customer from New York City. Peter Buxton over on what we call Sunset, uh, he's got a 32-foot-plus because he wasn't sure how long the keel was going to be. And that boat's now under construction because when I was there probably two months ago, the lines were lofted onto the floor, and he had made the stations. He had some of the uh, the backbone done, but he was waiting for the keel to come in, and I'm sure that's there by now. And um, that boat's going to be kind of an interesting boat, but it's very simple. It's based on a John's Bay boat that um, Peter built back, I don't know how many years ago, probably back in the 90s. And then, uh, but the only, there's only like a very basic down below, maybe just a seat and a stern seat, and that's going to be it for that boat. And that's basically, and the Cayman Cat has been basically boxed and, as I understand, shipped. So he was worried that he had to, was going to have to deliver it because mm. it's a long way to go to the Cayman Islands. So, yeah. So other than that, uh, oh, Joe Lowell, uh, quickly, uh, he's in Yarmouth. If, for those that are traveling up and down, uh, I think it's 295. I don't know my routes, even though I travel them every this day. This Lowell's boat here? Yeah, this is uh, now it's called Down East Custom Boats. Oh, really? And he's oh. in uh, Yarmouth. So if you know where the Muddy Rudder is in the Ford Place, you take the oh, road yeah. that's just to the left of the Ford Place, go down in there. And Joe has got two classic Lowell boats in there. One is Royal. Royal was building this boat when he passed away. This is 1984. So the boat has been out on Martha's Vineyard for the last almost 40 years. And she's in now for a total rebuild. So the keel's in. I can't remember how many ribs he's got in. 40, 50 ribs are all in. And now he's only got the few up in the bow that needs to be replaced because they've got to take the stem out, fit that, and then put this, put all the bow pieces back together. And then the other boat is Harpoon, and that's another Lowell design more of a cabin cruiser, and she's they've been piecing her together. I know they just put in the stem into her, and they've done a lot of reframing in the stern, refastening, that sort of stuff, so he's been pretty busy. So that's it for Boatyard News. What would you like to know about lobster boat racing? <laughs> um, we didn't see Wild Wild West this year. No, we haven't seen Wild Wild West yet, and we will not. Yeah, I was with... Uh, uh, Glenn the uh, yesterday, and basically Glenn is taken. He wants the boat to look like it should. They've been basically putting this boat together the night before. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and and a lot of it is you, you get the engine up and running first, and then you worry about what the boat looks like. About three or four years ago, they had to take the boat and strengthen her forward because the longitudinal string has stopped at the bulkhead. So when they did that, if you look at pictures of her, there's a real bright gel coat, <laughs> and the rest of the gel coat of the boat is a little off-white. So it's okay. kind of obvious that she's had some structural integrity added. Huh. And, of course, she still has the 1,000-horsepower th- Izotta in her. And he's basically claiming the boat will be ready for next year for yeah. racing. Well, at 60 miles an hour, I'd want a good, secure boat. Well, and that he's, he's got that now. You know, even, but he wants it to look 
the way it should look. So yeah. she's going to come in and get a total facelift. The big boat this year so far has been uh, Maria's Nightmare, too, which is uh, Jeremy Beale. That's a 32 Wayne Beale with a 1,000 horsepower plus Isotta in her. Yeah. And he's been clocked at about 58. We got him down in Jonesport this past weekend. So he's dominated a lot of... And then Jeff Eaton, who owns La Bella Vida mm-hmm. out of Stonington. or He's out of Deer Isle. But uh, the uh, La Bella Vida is a 38 Northern Bay with a 815 horsepower FPT. And he's he took the whole everything at uh, Harpswell. We had, I think, 36 boats at Harpswell Racing. We had 91 at Jonesport. But the problem with Jonesport this past weekend was we signed up those people early when we originally signed up on the 1st of July, and some of them didn't come back. And that some of it was because of travel, but others it's because they went fishing. Now, would you rather go make money or would you rather come lose well, it? Well, yeah, three <laughs> days off from fishing, you'd probably want to right. get back to it. Yep. So the big boat this year has been Maria's Nightmare, but there's been a lot of good battles. And for instance, down in Jonesport, the first one, we don't uh, sanction the recreational boats. And in most races, we don't have recreational boats allowed to race. But Jonesport does because there's people in town that love to see them. So Alton uh, Smith comes out with this hydroplane that can do about 80 miles an hour. And the two boats, Craig, I don't know what Craig Church's boat is. He calls it EGAD. Well, that's mostly probably what you're screaming all the way down the course because he's doing about 80. Mm. And they were basically bow to bow when they came across the finish line. But <laughs> At 80 miles an hour. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and you just worry because one year uh, he uh, Alton flipped the boat. Mm. And I have a great picture of him in the air. He looks like a star. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, but that one was a good race. There was a good race between High Voltage, which is Dan Sawyer. That's an AJ28. And I don't know, I can't remember the horsepower, but both of them have similar. Uh, and he raced Randy Durkey in uh, Audrey May, which is a Holland 32. And they were pretty close bow to bow all the way down the course until they got to the finish line. And Audrey May had them maybe by a boat length. Yeah. You know, when they're that close, it's really yeah, interesting. Yeah. Who hits what rave, right? Yep. Yeah. Yep. So, um, I lost my thought. We'll continue on. Oh, we were talking about um, all these things that were fun to watch. Are, are there any videos, do you know? Of that There's some on? videos online. Unfortunately, Terry Boven has, has not been around this year. Uh, but the uh, Down East Cowboys been putting up some. But I don't think there's any aerial uh, drone fo- fo- mm. footage. This is on YouTube? Yeah. yeah. And sometimes it's on Facebook. They uh-huh. throw it up on Facebook. Uh-huh. I always throw up on Facebook. I try to get it the, the, the day after the race because it takes me about eight hours to rebuild the system. So, because what I have to do is rebuild it for the next race. And so what I have to do is put in the computer what, the boat is any new ones mm-hmm. so that when i write the captions it actually tells you what the boat is this is all hand entered one, one oh, boat yeah. at a time yeah yeah but most of it's in the computer now so basically i'm just putting in the new ones huh. so it doesn't take too long but then you got to write all the captions and so what you want to do is put what kind of boat it is and what horsepower now this is the horsepower they tell me they've got not what they've really got so that's always because a lot of times these people will go well how come my boat doesn't do that Mm. well you're not running methane you're not running this you're not running that (laughs) yeah there are 
ways to cheat. So, no, uh, no, no, they didn't cheat. No, yeah. <laughs> um, we're talking about videos. We have Steve Stone in here today who is... Yeah, he uh, knows a lot about videos. Yeah, he, he definitely knows a lot about videos. But before we get to Steve, um, I'd like to send a thanks out to Jimmy and Stu Ben. She's uh, made an additional gift to Boat Talk. She says thanks to Alan and John, and, and she misses Mike. Yeah, we all do. Yep. This is a quote that we've heard quite often before. I know nothing about boats, but I still love this show. <laughs> <laughs> Just some old guys sitting around talking about whatever. So, mm-hmm. yep. Um, so before we get to um, Steve, I have a, uh, a a message here from another sailor who is uh, to talk to help. Who wants to contribute to boat talk? Ahoy! This is John Paul Jones. I'd like to declare my support for this revolutionary, commercial-free community radio. The boys think it's a whale of a station, and their support is bountiful. You, too, should anchor your support by calling 207 469-6600 or navigating to weru.org. The crew really worships boat talk. Isn't that right, boys? Keep weru ship shape 207 469 Oi! <laughs> well, thanks to John Paul Jones, I didn't realize. You know where he's buried? I don't think he is, but we just heard yes. from him. Well, one is buried. <laughs> the one we heard about in the school. Yeah, right. The uh, Bon Wachard. Yep. Yep. It, but where he is was he? born. Is he, he was buried at sea? He was born, he was buried originally in France. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah, because he actually sailed for the Russian Navy after our revolution, and then he went to France and was buried as a pauper grave. But then he was removed under uh, the U.S. Navy and brought to the an- an- Annapolis, and he's buried in the chapel. Ah, in the chapel? Yep. Oh. Yeah, you go into the lower level, and there's a bust of him and his coffins down there. Huh. That's what smells funny. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so... Uh, Let's get to Steve Stone in Off Center Harbor. We I have talked uh, previously about a, a, a man named um, Tom Robinson, who um, I used to think that people who wanted to row across the oceans were definitely crazy. But after <laughs> after uh, reading some posts from Tom Robinson, who is in the process of rowing across the Pacific Ocean, I, he seems quite sane, quite a, quite a good writer and. Steve has been keeping up with uh, Tom quite quite closely. So let's start with uh, Tom Robinson. I want you to give a little bit of the history of the start of Tom Robinson, Steve. Yeah, thanks for having me. Um, it's, uh, it's easy to talk about Tom. Uh, he, he's a young guy. He's 23, I think. He just turned 23. Did he have a birthday party at sea, probably? <laughs> <laughs> he, he did. And, uh, Raw fish. <laughs> And uh, he, he's a guy who 
woke up one day when he was 14 years old and decided he was going to row across the Pacific. He started 14, 14 years old. Years old. Wow. Yeah, 14 years old. He just decided, he heard a couple of things and he just decided, hey, that's what I'm going to do. Huh. Do you know what triggered it? Um, I, it, I think what he did is he read about a couple of people who had done it. And uh, in years past, mm-hmm. um, you don't know who they are. I don't know who they are. Because remember Dunlap? Uh huh. And then there was another one out of New Bedford called Crapo. He was uh, he he took his wife. That was their honeymoon, right? And rode across. I think in the eighteen eighties. Right. That was across the Atlantic. The yeah, one. yeah, right, right. Yeah, the yeah. Pacific's a little bigger. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And uh, and so he he just decided he was going to do it at fourteen and. You know, unlike today where somebody might start up a GoFundMe and, you know, raise all the money ahead of time and not get a job and, you mm-hmm. know, live off that. He did it the exact opposite way, the old-fashioned way. He got an apprenticeship, uh, learned how to build boats, did that for a number of years, lived with his parents to save money, and um, designed and built his own boat, shipped it to Peru, and uh, flew over there and met it. And... uh Started rowing across the Pacific. So what's the boat? Do you know much it's, about the boat? It's a 24-foot. Um, the beam is about six, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's uh, a little bit taken off whale boats and, you know, with finer entries. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, he just he, he kind of took several different designs and figured out what he needed, and he built a little cabin in it. Mm-hmm. And uh, it is unlike... Um, most of the boats that are rowing across oceans these days in that it doesn't have a huge cabin that serves as um, a bit of a sail. Right. Um, so it's very sleek, um, and the cabin is, is low down, and uh, it takes a guy 22 or 23 to get into it. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> what did he build it of? Uh, it's glued lap plywood. Yep. Yep. So is it light? Um, fairly light. Yep. And uh, fairly light before he's got, you know, uh, thousands, hundreds of gallons of water and all his provisions and so on. It was pretty low down, loaded down when he left Peru. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, you know, when he got to Peru, they basically held his boat hostage in customs and, uh, <laughs> and jacked up the price. And I think it cost him $30,000 Australian to get it out. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, he finally, huh. finally got it out after a couple of months he had to spend there negotiating. So he should have picked a better country. Uh, right. <laughs> well, and he picked Peru cause he was wanting to stay South far enough so that he could hopefully row into his home river mm-hmm. that he grew up on in Brisbane. Mm-hmm. And, uh, immediately when he rode out of Peru, he got Northern currents and Southeast winds and, <laughs> And uh, there was a while when he was worried about making landfall at all, wasn't it? When he finally ended up in Pendrin, is that what? Right. Well, he, you know, he set out for the Marquesas. Yep. And um, Tahiti or the Marquesas. And Marquesas were further north. And he quickly washed so far north that it became a a stressor um, daily, all day long, trying to row south. we were coming uh, up on uh, cyclone season. Exactly. Yeah. So you know there was there was there was an impending danger if he did not get land because he was rowing into the cyclone pattern in cyclone season. Mm. Yeah. 
So he needed to hit land to wait out the cyclone season. So did he do that? He um, he rode right past the Marquesas, about a couple hundred miles north. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, he got as far north as, I think, two degrees. And the real risk was, which he didn't really publicize, except for on a satellite phone call I had with him, um, had he gone any farther north, then he would have gotten into... Um, a loop current that sent him back um, to the east. And he didn't have enough water or food um, to to sustain that. Um, so he doesn't have any desalination ways? He does. Um, he's got a, a manual desalination pump. Right. Um, uh, but he didn't have enough food, you know, to, to make that journey. So No fish hooks? Um, he's got fish hooks, but... Uh, <laughs> but it likely would have ended up in a rescue, mm-hmm. um, which was just not his not his yeah. thing, right? Mm-hmm. It's kind of the worst scenario, probably worse than death for somebody in that moment, right? Mm-hmm. So um, I'll, I'll quickly, uh, for people who don't understand what a manual desalinator is, it's a, a little sort of like a hand pump, um, a lever where you put salt water in and squeeze it, and it's... It's hard to squeeze. Yeah. It takes a lot of pressure to squeeze, and it squeezes the salt water through a uh, membrane that's so uh, fine that the salt is retained and fresh water comes out. But mm-hmm. you got to put a lot of energy in to get a small amount of water out of it. But when you're thirsty, that's okay. You'll do anything. Yeah. yeah. He gave a demonstration of that in one of our videos, and, boy, you squeeze like hell, and you get a few drops out. Yeah. 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 Uh, I had a friend who said that your freshwater uh, output was equal to sweat. Exactly. Right. <laughs> yeah, going, backing up just a moment, um, you know, we get a lot of emails in at Off Center Harbor, and, and um, you know, Tom's came in, and it was he was just sending a contact us email, you know, through the, through the website, and... Uh, he said, hey, I've been a member of Shite forever, and, I, you know, my favorite video is your very first one. It was a boat builder in New Zealand talking about how, um, you know, you don't need a lot of money to enjoy boating, and you can have a simple boat, and, you know, that really helps reach the highest highs, you know, to not be trying to repair a chart plotter and things like that. And, um, and he goes on, and at the very end of the note, he says, oh, by the way, I'm getting ready to row across the Pacific, and I'm going for the record to be the youngest one to ever do that. And it was almost a PS in his email. <laughs> and he said, if you'd ever want to do a little post or something on us, yeah. you know, on me, then. Very you know, humble. Right. Yeah. Incredibly humble. And it was so well done that, of course, you know, I immediately replied and started learning more about what he was doing. Um and he's just turned out to be an amazing young man that's so easy to work with and um, so easy for us to, you know, help tell his story. Yeah. Well, he's been making some uh, posts that are well-written, you know, so you got <laughs> a good source right there just to put into your into your post. It very, requires very little editing. Exactly. He, yeah. he is an exceptional writer, and he's got his own website. It's TomRobinsonBoats.com. Uh, TomRobinsonBoats.com. And uh, you can also uh, click um, Tracker, 
on that website at the head at the top of it and you can see where he is at any given moment because right. he's got a tracker with him i've seen that yeah you're averaging about a knot and a half a knot and a half <laughs> right Ooh. so and, uh, what is the distance do we know how far he's got his yeah i wish i'd looked that up uh, i want to say eight thousand miles across the pacific does that sound about right could be yeah and the first leg was i think five thousand mm-hmm. you know and uh so has he done the first leg? He has done the first leg, and, you know, he was just missing the Marquesas. Mm-hmm. And um, so one of the options is he'd get caught in that uh, loop coming back. The other is, you know, he's got these tiny little dots of islands out there. There weren't many mm-hmm. um, to hit. And he had just missed an island group that stretched 200 miles, right? So he's now thinking, how's he going to hit? you know, a tiny atoll that's out there. Um, but he did. He got lucky in the currents, which you're just basically drifting when you're rowing mm-hmm. out there. Mm-hmm. And uh, he got really lucky and landed on a tiny little atoll uh, called Pinrin or Tonga, Tongareva and, uh, and spent four months there uh, waiting out the... So what is there? Sort of, yeah, very good question. We, we had never heard of it. Um, and it turns out it's just this incredibly idyllic place with population of 200, and he just had the time of his life uh, for four so months. So what they think of him coming in? That might have been interesting. Well, yeah, what do you think they would think, right? <laughs> and um, here's this guy rowing in from Peru, <laughs> right, <laughs> 5,000 miles away. So what happened when he arrived um, in the South Pacific, it is very, very difficult. They don't, they don't hand out on these small Pacific islands. They don't hand out local names to, um, you know, white people very easily. Mm -hmm. Right. And, um, it takes years usually for that to happen. Five, within five minutes of when he got off his boat, they had given him a Penryn name and his Penryn name was Mahuta Mm -hmm. and Mahuta. And, and there's more to it than Mahuta. But um, Mahuta is all I can remember. Um, Mahuta was the first person that came upon that island. And so he, first chief, mm-hmm. right? And so they gave him uh, the original chief's oh. name. And so that's how much they thought of him, mm-hmm. right? Rowing into an island from Peru, 5,000 miles away. I remember seeing pictures of him on that island doing volunteer work, helping carpentry. Exactly. Out of the, I right. think it was at the church, too. So. Just jumped right in. Yeah. He was, yeah, jumped right into everything on the island. Very unique young man. Um, a lot of people might go and shack, shack up in the, you know, in the in one of the huts or in the local community center and not really engage. Mm-hmm. He was in the middle of everything on the island. What do they speak? Uh, mostly English. Well, well, English, and then their local name, mm-hmm. their local uh, language. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Which is based on what? Do you know? Good question. Don't know the answer to that. Yeah. Um, yeah. And these are, you know, these are um, people who have, in most cases, lived their whole life on that island, but they're also very well educated, tied into the Australian and New Zealand. What else system. do they have to do but learn? Yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> right. Um, so he's gone beyond that to uh this done the second leg now which was i believe fiji was that where he uh landed in Samoa, 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 Samoa right yeah. right and uh, it was fairly 
commercial area where he landed and he was sort of got culture shock when he was there and <laughs> he didn't, did. didn't just stay very long and has taken off again headed towards um well ultimately australia ultimately australia and we don't know um he had he had just about decided when he left samoa that um this could be his last leg that he would just keep going mm-hmm. um hard to say where he's going to land um, it's not going to be likely his home river in Brisbane. He's too far north. Um, but uh, um, I just I just clicked on Tom Robinson boats and and clicked on the tracker, and uh, he's not too far from Vanuatu, and Vanuatu is a really attractive place. That's so a well-known one, yeah. I sus- I suspect he's going to stop. <laughs> yeah. So, if you cross the Pacific, don't you have to hit Asia to complete it? Um, well, Australia, I would think would be, um, crossing the Pacific, but, um, he to may, me that's he, not total. Yeah. I would think he'd have to hit like Vietnam. Yeah. Good know, question. China or Korea. Huh. Yeah, yeah. Good question. Yeah. I'm not sure who writes those rules. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Guinness. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Probably they do. Um, so we're talking about all these videos and posts and everything. Why don't you explain Off Center Harbor for people mm. who are not familiar? Sure. Um, Off Center Harbor is a membership website for um, boating enthusiasts. We have um, quite a bit on classic and wooden boats, um, everything from how to build them, how to maintain them, how to use them. Um, and we started it about uh, 11 years ago. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, we had five co-founders in Brooklyn, Maine, and we all got together and started shooting videos. And uh, now, um, who were your co-founders? Yes, uh, Ben Mendlowitz, um, who did the cal- does the calendar of wooden boats. Maynard Bray, mm-hmm. who was the technical editor of Wooden Boat Magazine for decades. Bill Mayer, who's a maritime writer, and Eric Blake, who's a boat builder at Brooklyn Boatyard. Mm-hmm. So a lot of a lot of amazing talent. There. A lot of power there. Absolutely. <laughs> and then there's me. Yeah. <laughs> right. So um, it's a, a monthly or a yearly fee, but it's I, I've, I'm a member, and it's, it's definitely reasonable, like a good fee, and, not, and it's well worth it. All the, you can go through all sorts of topics on uh, Off Center Harbor, and how many? Well, you know how many po- or, well, videos, I guess I'll call them, of uh, Tom Robinson. Do you have on that? Yeah, I, I meant to look that up, but I think it's about 11. Wow. I think we're on part 12 or 13 now. Yeah, interesting yeah, so, story. And that starts with um, kind of the video, which was his dream, which he hadn't started yet back in Australia, to we gave him um, part of the correspondence I had with him is, hey, what, what equipment do you have to video this and he he hadn't really gone down that path yet so we helped him gave him equipment um gopros and phones and and sd cards and all those things and gave him a lot of instruction on how to film so he's been filming his own videos and he's a natural is it hard to get it uploaded because some of that could be massive it is it's um you know we we have to wait until he gets to an island and then he actually ships the sd cards (laughs) because it's 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 the files are so big that you know so um yeah, we're uh, we're actually releasing videos from his first leg mm-hmm. uh, because it took. And get this, what was it? He got to Samoa, his second leg, and shipped 
um, via U.S. mail his SD cards from the second uh, thing, well, they actually beat <laughs> the ones that he had mailed months before from Penryn Island. Oh, wow. oh. <laughs> so, because how would they have to be shipped? Exactly, they ship? had to wait for the they had to wait for the ferry, and you yeah, know, was the, how long does the ferry come? I mean, not the ferry, the supply boat that right. comes every couple months. Yeah. You know, and then that has to get back to so-and-so. I wonder where it goes and how long it takes to get it off there. Yeah, exactly. Oops, I dropped it. (laughs) (laughs) Has he had any major issues? Yeah, it's a good question. Um, uh, He, other than the constant stress for day, week upon week of that first leg, trying to, you know, actually hit an island, He's had um, no physical problems um, on his first leg. On his second leg, he's got some infections on his skin that he had to get treated. Um, uh, And he got one rogue wave that scared the heck out of him. Yeah, Um, they'll do that. Yeah, Yeah. (laughs) the Pacific, you know, and he said... He said, which I wasn't really that aware of, the Pacific is, you know, is pretty damn calm that time of year Mm -hmm. um, until you get into the you know, the cyclone area. Right. Um, but yeah, he's, it's been remarkable. He's, he's, uh, he's made it all the way across without any, um, um, yeah, you know, I've, I've known of several car wrecks, um, that have happened while he's been on that. He's perfect. He's perfectly safe. Right. And those of us driving down the two lane roads, yeah. they're not, good. Not, not so safe. No, I yeah. know all about them people. <laughs> yeah. Well, right. better, better late than never. I've been remiss in uh, saying this is a phone in call for anybody who would like to also join the conversation. The, the number to reach Boat Talk is area code 207 618 for anything that you would. Any questions for uh, the people here or anything else that you'd like to talk about? 618-8819. So we still have about 10 minutes left. Um, Your uh, Off-Center Harbor website, is that exclusively wooden boats? It's not. We, 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 uh, early on, decided that we would not be exclusive just to wooden mm-hmm. or classic boats. Um, it's, I would say, mostly wooden classic boats. But you know, if we see something we like that really entertains us, then uh, we won't hesitate to put it on there. Well, yeah. You know, yeah. When you're looking at a boat, especially from a distance, and you see it sitting on the water, yeah, it can be wood or it can be fiberglass. It can be sail, but it just mm-hmm. they look like pretty boats. And right. so I'm glad you're doing that. Thanks. Yeah. Yeah, because you worked on a lot of classic glass ones, right, Alan? You have, we have two two phone calls? Uh, we do have a caller? Yeah. yeah. Okay. <laughs> I'm trying to read hand language here, and I do that very well. So, uh, good afternoon. Welcome to Boat Talk. It's coming. They're pushing buttons. Yeah. <laughs> Turning knobs and yeah. We we just put in new fiber optic lines into the station now. Oh and yeah. We take the 
high-tech fiber optic engineers to uh yep they're running from they're yeah. running to the next studio yeah well not the engineers the fiber optic engineers who will come and say oh yeah you should be this way or they uh they live pretty far away and one of the unfortunate things about living down east is uh we're kind of far from the metropolitan areas so we want to try again you can try 207 618 oh, go ahead okay I, i'm in here oh good you've made it <laughs> congratulations yeah we only have we only have four minutes left so uh we'll try, try to make it quick, all right quick uh quick question lots of boat races i'm an old boater from ohio lakes and rivers this ocean thing's crazy <laughs> but my question is do the um lobster boats um Some do, most don't. Uh, they found out that when they're loaded and, and fishing, that some of the boats need trim tabs. It makes them more efficient, especially if you're loaded with traps and then you're not loaded with traps. Uh, most of the boats that actually race are working boats. There's very few that aren't. Uh, one of my, my, both my boats really don't fish anymore. Uh, and there's very few gas boats anymore. That's another thing that's interesting. Uh, you know, used to get a lot of boats down in Jonesport that were gas-powered. But now most of them are playboats. I know one, which is Sean Alley's boat, which is Little Girls. She's waiting for her engine, which he's been waiting for for, I think, two to three years. But supposedly they just found that there's a crack in the block, and that's going to be another little wait and a lot more money. But she's supposed to be back together, but she won't be out this year because mm -hmm. we go this weekend to Winter Harbor, and for those who like to race, uh, show up because they're giving away 10 cruise tickets for a cruise in the Caribbean in fe in February. Wow. 10? Wow. 10. This is in Winterport? Winter Harbor. Winter Harbor, yes. Yeah, so that's Saturday, and then Sunday we're in Pemaquid, and then the week after, the, we close the season out at Long Island on Saturday, and then on Sunday we'll be in Portland, and the Portland race is actually a fundraiser for scholarships for the fishermen's children going to college. Mm -hmm. So thank you. I hope that answers your question, and I'll carry on. Yeah, just yep. Very good. Thank you very much. Thanks for listening. Um, yeah, a lot of people from away really can't believe that we race these things. And <laughs> yeah. some of them, when you look at them, I can't believe it. Well, when you look at the videos, they are very impressive. Um, back to the trim tabs, pre-trim tabs, they used to put what they call shingles, shingles. Yep. On, shingles on the back end of the, the wooden boats, which were wedges that yep. had the same sort of effect. Mm -hmm. Yep, some of them still have them on them. <laughs> sure, yep. Those were the, the shingle-handed fishermen. Yeah. <laughs> So we have three minutes left. I think we'll have to, don't have time for any more phone calls. But, well, um, if they're brief. <laughs> what, what? If they're brief. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah right, yeah. You, yeah. The engineers. Will, the, yeah, they just gave us a note. They have a hard time <laughs> getting things lined up. Hopefully next next month we'll be a little bit more together as when it comes to phone calls, especially on my part, getting a phone call number a little more early. But... Um, Oh, I was going to give a quick update on uh, the main uh, ropeless gear whale controversy that's going on now. Um, I spoke with a person at the, the main 
Department of Marine Resources asking uh, where they were at as far as um, testing of the roping gears. And they says, well, um, we're having a meeting today. So today is the day that they're having a meeting as to far as, uh, I don't know if anything really finalized is going to come out of that meeting, but they're trying to make progress to figure out how to get this testing done. Well, Finn Sprague in Portland is also involved in this pretty heavily, and he's actually got both groups talking, and they're all agreed that they'll follow the data. So if he can actually pull this off, which is going to be a a tough chore, Mm because sometimes they don't like to talk to each other, but they all agree that whatever the data shows, because so far the data is not showing that the whales are impacted by Maine fishermen. No, not Maine fishermen. No, no, there's no. Lots of possibilities, but uh, right. nothing nothing definite as far as uh, entanglements go. So that just about wraps up boat talk for today. Thanks to Steve Tone, Steve Stone from <laughs> Off Center Harbor, and uh, thanks to Amy down in the engine room. <laughs> I used to buy the sails, sir. I used to buy the catches of fish and take some home to lie, sir. 